Welcome to Grace Story Podcast. We're here to connect you with education, resources, and community that equip you for the journey of restoration. My name is Nate Davison, and I am your host here at Grace Story Podcast. Thank you, as always, for joining in on this episode, uh, a good one on spiritual trauma. And for that, we had to go out and find an expert, an expert in the field of counseling, and that's Dr. Andrew Graham. A little bit about Dr. Andrew Graham. He is uh, and has been in clinical training and has the experience to diagnose and treat a variety of mental health and counseling concerns. He holds credentials uh, with the Florida Department of Health as a licensed mental health counselor, the National Board for Certified Counselors as a national certified counselor, and the International Board of Christian Care as a board-certified professional Christian counselor, which is a mouthful. He is an active member of the American Association of Christian Counselors, the American Counseling Association, and the Christian Association of Psychological Studies. He received his bachelor in ministry with a minor in counseling in at Hope Sound Bible College. He has a master of arts in counseling from Asbury Theological Seminary, and then went on for his doctorate of philosophy in professional counseling from Liberty University. He has been in the clinical practice of professional counseling since 2003, primarily doing outpatient psychotherapy with children and families in crisis. Uh, in 2007, he began to facilitate and later develop online courses primarily in the areas of counseling, psychology, and substance abuse treatment. He is currently involved in higher education as well as counseling and consulting, both in person and online. He is the husband of one and the father of eight, and he is the illustrious latest guest on Grace Story Podcast, uh, Andrew Graham, how are we doing today? You, I see you there with the sweater vest in place, as always. Uh, how are you doing? Absolutely fine. It's 72 degrees in sunny South Florida, as it always is. And I'm really excited about the opportunity to talk with you and share with your audience today. Well, and this is one people have been looking forward to, which, which seems almost like an oxymoron uh, when you consider the topic of spiritual trauma. Uh, but we like talking about the hard things here and uh, doing it in an intelligent way. Um, so let's dive in and just right off the bat, let's. I think defining terms is important. Uh, when we're talking about spiritual trauma, what is that definition uh, or defining term for spiritual trauma? Yeah, and that's a complicated question with some complicated answers. You know, depending on the resource you're looking at, depending on the scholarship, depending on the, the book you're reading, you know, there are a variety of, of different definitions. I think that it's important to distinguish where spiritual trauma, where spiritual abuse falls in relationship to other more objectively defined areas of trauma or abuse. So in the field, we talk about big T trauma versus little T trauma. So big T trauma, you know, we can look at pretty objectively, this person's life was in danger, uh, or that at least they perceived that their life was in danger. Uh, so just significant one time or perhaps chronic event, um, you know, a, a car, everything from a car accident to you know, combat in war, you know, those sorts of things, big T trauma. So generally when we're talking about spiritual abuse, spiritual trauma, we're talking about little T trauma. So these are things that it's more like over time, this has caused a disruption in the ability to function 
based on how the exposure to this particular stimuli has reduced our hope, reduced our sense of attachment to God and others. So if you if you're to look at the if you're to define abuse as or you're to distinguish categories of abuse abuse between physical abuse, sexual abuse and emotional abuse, then spiritual abuse is nested under that emotional abuse most of the time. One of the things that we may talk about today is the fact that unfortunately within certain communities of faith even physical abuse and or sexual abuse can have spiritual coercion sort of undertones to them. But if we define emotional abuse as patterns of negative behavior for the purpose of manipulating and controlling others, then I think we can define spiritual abuse as patterns of negative behavior for the purpose of controlling manipulating and controlling others with spiritual coercion, spiritual components to it. And so that's sort of where I would locate spiritual trauma, spiritual abuse. Spiritual trauma being the response of the person who has been a uh, recipient of the abuse. So the abuse being what has happened, the trauma being the result of the abuse that happened. Well, in listening to that definition and in talking about church groups, I think it's important to set this right up here at the beginning. We, we as we're talking through these things, are not uh, uh, pointing this towards any particular denomination, any particular church group whatsoever. And if it does feel that way as a listener that, hey, why are they talking about my church like that? Uh, we're not. Uh, it is a coincidence. All the characters within this particular saga are <laughs> not uh, uh, actuality. So if that's happening for you where you're like, hey, um, this sounds like my church. Why are they talking about us? Uh, it, it may just be that take the material and objectively with prayer, look at uh, what's going on and say, hmm, well, maybe this is something we need to work on. I think that needs to be said. So little T, big T, love it, bringing that back around. Um, because my, my next kind of, um, I, I can hear a listener saying, well, I have had a lot of negative experiences at my church. And so maybe I'm just being spiritually abused. And hearing that definition maybe give you an opportunity to, to define the difference between negative experiences within a spiritual context and the difference between that and actual spiritual abuse causing spiritual trauma. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. Let me, let me back up just a little bit to what you shared a minute ago. I, I want to be seen as somebody who is addressing concerns from inside the house. You know, I'm not a, Oh, you, you talked about my degrees. I went to, conservative evangelical institutions for my training. Um, about 10 years of my counseling clinical mental health practice has been in community funded settings. So my Bible was in my desk, not on my desk. I prayed for my clients, but not ever with them. The last 10 years, I've been specifically involved in higher education and Christian settings, Christian colleges and universities, and my practice has Christian in the name. So I'm not somebody who is critiquing from the outside. 
I don't even want to use the word critiquing. I'm somebody who is making observations from the inside based on the experiences that I've had helping people who are in distress, who come to me with a presenting problem that seems to have or does have religious components to it. And a number of the people, most of the people, many of the people who reach out to me, reach out to me because they have had counseling experiences whereas they have reflected on the spiritual components of their distress, the provider has been uncomfortable navigating those sorts of things or has maybe mislabeled certain things as abusive or sometimes even cultish. And so now people are saying, I would like to navigate these issues and I would like to navigate them with somebody from a community of faith who is not afraid to talk about those sorts of things from that perspective. So absolutely, as you said, uh, my purpose is not to necessarily define spiritual abuse or spiritual trauma in such a way as to say that all members of a particular community of faith are guilty of this or, or, or victims of this. But I do think that we need to acknowledge that for some communities of faith, there are components that are sort of baked in that, if not stewarded well, could lead to people feeling as though they are the victims of spiritual abuse and manifesting symptoms of spiritual trauma. Well, I hear that. And, and the one thing I, I want to say is that I, I hear the intentionality and the desire for honest discussion in order to help people. Um, which uh, I love, which is the, the mission of the church is, is connecting people to the resources that God has for them. Um, but yeah, so with that though, there's those negative things, those negative experiences, whether that's, uh, you know, you, you, there's all through scripture being, uh, confronted by a brother or, um, you know, a, a leader coming to you and, and noticing something in your life that needs worked on, um, and giving you the opportunity to work through Every negative experience, is it abuse or which, you know, generalizations tend not to be, but how can I differentiate negative experiences in the church versus what we're talking about, spiritual abuse resulting in trauma? Yeah. So I think that it's really important to recognize that something can, something can be abusive without that necessarily having been the goal of the person who is engaging in the behavior we're now calling abusive. And I think that's where emotional abuse differs, I think, from physical and sexual abuse, right? We can categorically affirm that coercing someone who is unable or unwilling to give consent to engage in sexual behavior is by very definition victimizing them for your own personal gratification. Okay, that's relatively easy to do. Uh, we can do the same most of the time with, with physical abuse. There can be components where, you know, I, I know that I've worked with people where, uh, just even here recently, where a family acknowledged that our corporal punishment strategies, and I'm not against corporal punishment if it's done well, and are able to acknowledge, you know, we were well-intentioned and yet we recognize now that our, our discipline was out of anger, out of frustration, out of embarrassment, 
you know, we were doing as we thought we were supposed to do. And so that's often the case, or many times the case in spiritual abuse. The person who is <clears throat> not to break everything into, you know, an aggressor and a victim, but the person who in this story is the purpose, the person who is propagating the abuse may not be aware that that's what they're doing. If, you know, there could be an audience of more than one <clears throat> where more than one response, maybe only one person is having a trauma response to what is happening. You know, there could be somebody else in the same family, in the same congregation, in the same gathering, whatever, who would say, this was not, I did not identify this as abusive towards me. I'm not having a trauma response as a result of this. So it, it definitely becomes a lot more, like I said earlier, a lot more subjective, a lot more, it depends on personality, it depends on previous exposure to, uh, to abuse or lack thereof, those sorts of things as to what constitutes abusive behavior. Well, and you bring up, you bring up a, a good point that, because uh, you talk about in-home experiences as well maybe looking at this too because when, when I think of spiritual abuse I automatically think of some type of church situation um, but you bring up the home where where does spiritual abuse happen or where can it happen uh, for the individual yeah well I think I think by definition it can happen it happens most often inside communities of faith and I think that it's easier for us to define that, to recognize that in communities that we're not a part of. So, you know, we can see pictures of other cultures and uh, we see maybe a woman uh, who is uh, in a Muslim country, part of a Muslim group. And, you know, she is covered all but, all but her eyes. And we can look at that and say, wow, somebody is using their interpretation of their religious systems, sacred texts to restrict this woman's behavior, to subjugate her in this sort of um, power differential that has at its root a for her anyway, spiritual basis. And we can see that and we can look at that and it can be harder to see how sometimes those same, that same structure that I just shared related to the Muslim faith can be mapped on top of some of the things that, that we're doing. So, you know, like for instance, when it becomes, I think a hallmark of when it becomes abusive is the consequences of not the consequences of not embracing that particular structure in its entirety you know what's the consequence of that woman in that muslim community for not participating in this particular garb right she would be uh relationship with family and friends would be withheld there would be, you know, verbal abuse, you know, shaming. There would be threats. Blessings will be withheld. Those sorts, you know, you can no longer be a part of our community because the institution is more important than the individuals that make up the institution. 
you know, all of those those sorts of dynamics. And I think we can we can see that and we can sort of objectively say that's not healthy. That's not acknowledging the uh, that's not acknowledging the image of God that she is bearing. And I think that it's helpful, that it's instructive for us to inquire, inquire about how perhaps some of those same structures are present within our own communities of faith. Now, I'm not, I'm not for a second trying to say we are just like that. I'm not saying that everyone who has commitments related to certain lifestyle practices or those sorts of things that we are just like these other groups. But I think that it can be instructive for us to see how religion has been misused in other communities, in other religious systems, and to say, are we making sure that the same is not happening in the communities of faith where we're practicing? Well, it, and that goes to one question that I do want to ask you about the subtle signs, because you, you bring up a big one there. Like, yeah, I can look at that and be like, within my cultural context in the United States of America, I, I can view that as oppressive. I'm like, yeah, that doesn't, you can't do that. Um, but trying to put that over into context over here um, or within my circles, you know, maybe it's I don't agree with a certain uh, outward standard, so I'm not invited to the next uh, Bible study um, because I cause a ruckus or something. I, I don't know. What, what would that look like, those subtle signs over here uh, for, for our um, you know, American um, uh, way of life? Yeah, I think that when, I'm not sure if you've ever heard the term uh, a flat reading of scripture, right? Where uh, Levitical law, you know, we believe is certainly valuable for us to understand, but to to hold up a Levitical law um, as though it's parallel to the words in red in the New Testament is to, you know, if you like inaccurately conceptualize things. And we have this situation within all religious systems, all communities of faith, there become standards of conduct, there become, you know, the sort of non-negotiable theological commitments. But if we view that as well, which is this flat reading, right, it is just as important that you obey this particular, often, you know, sort of culturally prescribed behavior or something about your appearance or something like that. And that is just important as your care for your neighbor or your affirmation of the Trinity or, you know, that sort of thing that becomes problematic. And that's like, when you say a subtle, a subtle form that may happen, you know, I think that one of those would be when we become so exclusive you know, we're the ones who have the truth and we're going to separate ourselves from these other people who on primary issues of doctrine, you know, the Venn diagram is a completely, a complete overlap, but this particular point of application or this particular practice is different than ours. So not only will we separate from them, 
but we will now denounce them as clearly these are not true believers because they don't affirm every item the same way that we do. And that position lays the groundwork for later what can be perceived by the person hearing as abuse when it becomes a, well, we're not going to allow you to participate. You cannot be a full a member of our faith community. We cannot call on you to exercise your spiritual gifts in this way because you don't affirm every single item, be it theological commitment or be it extra biblical practical application of a biblical principle sort of thing. Like that's where there becomes a problem. And you have people who say, I cannot leave my church. I cannot go to this particular event. I cannot read this particular book because my community of faith says anything that we don't, you know, give full-throated endorsement of is of the devil. It's the slippery slope to compromise. And those sorts of characteristics lend themselves. Again, as I mentioned before, well, I think oftentimes well-meaning parents, well-meaning, you know, ecclesial authority saying, we need to be careful about these things, but making sure that even drawing distinctions isn't done in such a way that people feel as though asking a question, you know, uh, e expressing a concern or a belief outside what that particular community of faith, their sort of default position is, I feel like that is when there becomes this sort of spiritual abuse component to, to what's going on. Well, when I said at the beginning of this episode, we like to talk about the hard stuff. Um, you know, I feel like uh, even the giving out caveats and, and, and clarifiers, this, there's still people are taking off their shoes right now just so they can get their toes stepped on. <laughs> uh, they're, they're preparing themselves like, yes, this is obviously like, again, no, this is, this is uh, you're, you're talking about some common themes some common through lines that through your professional capacity you have seen uh, result in spiritual trauma. Um, and, and that can be any church denomination, any church group. And, and, and I think uh, I, I'd like to ask you for, for some of those things. If I'm someone who is seeing some of these common themes or these through lines, and if there's more, please, please give them out because I think the more people hear about um, what uh, 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 the themes, the through lines, they may resonate with that. Like, ah, that that's where it is because I've been listening to you and it, it kind of sounds like there's something there, but it doesn't really resonate with me. But if you, if there's more, please give them. But if, if I am hearing you and I think, well, maybe, uh, this is, this is an issue experiencing spiritual abuse or manipulation. What can I even do about it? Uh, cause, uh, I, I have been moved to some level of isolation or within, in my church or church group or my, my disciple group, my small group. If I leave, that's going to be a big deal. <laughs> I, I will lose friends. What can I even do about this? Here's what that looks like in the clinical mental health counseling setting. Somebody reaches out to me. I send them a packet of information for them to fill out consent forms and privacy statements and tell me a little bit about you and your 
faith background and your family constellation. And then tell me about your presenting issue. Why do you feel as though you would benefit from counseling? I don't think anybody has ever written, I'm the victim of sexual abuse or of spiritual abuse, or I'm the victim of spiritual trauma. Right? No, nobody has ever that I'm aware of that I remember said something like that. They come to me and they say, I'm struggling with depression. I'm struggling with anxiety. I'm struggling with some intrusive thoughts that make me feel uncomfortable. And I begin to ask them about that internal narrative in their head, the, 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 the dialogue they're having with themselves as they sort of narrate life on the inside of their head. And they begin to share things that are very shame-based from their religious background. I'll never be good enough. Nobody likes me. I only have utility. I only have value based on the utility that I am providing in this particular moment. Everyone around me is judging me, scrutinizing every single thing that I'm doing as to whether or not this is God honoring or not. And I remember saying to a client one time, nobody is doing this. You know, you know, I was doing this strategy on purpose, but she was talking about, you know, uh, I know that because I am, you know, 99% aligned with my faith community, I know that all anyone ever sees is that 1% that I may be different. And that's all they think about. And that's all they talk about. And they see me entirely through that lens. And I responded by saying, no, they don't. My, I, I'm a, I'm a father. I'm a, I'm a husband. We, we, we sit around on Sunday afternoon and we, we talk about uh, our week and we talk about our goals and our aspirations. We don't have time to talk about you and your family. And she said, "Well, my family spends Sunday afternoon talking about you." And what did that do for her? Is created in her this idea that everyone from her community of faith is spending all of their time paying attention to these sorts of dynamics, make, lifting them up, not talking about we need to pray for this person who has gone astray on this particular doctrinal point, or this particular person, we need to pray for this family that is navigating this difficult situation, but it became a did you see what they did? Did you hear what they posted? Did you? And it became this, this entire subculture of fear that if I say or do or act or present myself in any way that is outside this overly prescribed system, I will also become the person who is ostracized and I will lose friends and people will be talking about me. So the initial presentation, the initial coming for, for guidance, coming for counseling was not at all, this is something that I am navigating, but in our talk about, you know, that sort of internal dialogue they have is when it came out. So this, this comes from where? Oh, this comes from things that I heard. 
you know, if you disagree with the preacher, if you disagree with the speaker, that's carnality in your heart. If you disagree with, you know, if you come to believe something different than the place that you were raised, you are a compromiser. God will burn you alive eternally as a result of this particular disagreement on this particular nuanced, perhaps even points of doctrinal application. And so being able to identify whether or not this is in fact a legitimate concern or whether this is, as we talked about before when I mentioned the definition of, of emotional abuse, whether this is really about using negative behavior like humiliation and shame and the fear of isolation and rejection, withholding a sense of community so that we can coerce someone, so that we can manipulate them and control them further. And so many times people are almost not even aware of how things that they've heard that have made them feel uncomfortable, things that have been said that have made them feel uncomfortable how that is negatively impacting their daily functioning. Well, what I'm hearing you say is spiritual trauma can happen to an individual in, in the home even, regardless of the intention of the authority figure or person inflicting the trauma, uh, based on, as Kathy Sprinkle from, from conference put it, using shame. Shame is the most useless emotion we can have. There is no benefit from it um, in a good way. Um, using shame and fear to uh, bring about a, a, a wanted result of behaviors within an individual that uh, you may get the behavior, but then it has all this baggage and trauma that comes along with it. Um, wow. <laughs> what is the role of a professional counselor? So you, you mentioned they're in your office. What is your role in helping them sift through that careful excavation of presenting with the symptoms? And now they may be faced with, I mean, I, I, so caveat here, side road, as I'm putting myself in that chair, I may be faced with anything up to and including leaving everything I know because of this negative, um, life-altering, terrible uh, environment, relationships I'm going to have to grieve. But on top of that, grieving the relationships I thought I had, possibly, that weren't necessarily based on a reality. There is so much there as a counselor to work through that they just walk through the door hoping that they could have three sessions to feel better about life for a little bit. How do you dig around that? My goodness! <laughs> oh, Nate, I'm 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 chuckling. Maybe I shouldn't. I'm I'm thinking about um, a, a client that I had who who reached out to me, and we'd had a few sessions, and and I had tried to help her to identify was this part of, and this isn't all that I do. You know, not every not every client that I see do I. Do we talk specific? Do I help them to identify points of potential spiritual trauma? But this particular lady, it was, you know, help me to navigate this complicated relationship that I have. You know, can you give me some tools? Uh, you know, I want to remain healthy while having 
an awkward relationship with an unhealthy person because I believe that God has put me in a situation that I need to do that. Okay, so like that's the that's the background. And you know, the whole like let's have three sessions and then you know, I'll call you if I ever need you again. And she was uh somebody who's a journaler, and <laughs> she came to a session and said, I need to read you a journal entry from a day or two after our last session. And it was basically like this is way worse than anything I ever anticipated experiencing. You know, I thought I had a surface level scratch and I needed a Band-Aid. And you pointed out that there's, you know, some significantly toxic points of areas of my life. And, you know, I'm rethinking entire systems and structures sure. and, you know, my conceptualization of God and who he is and what my relationship should be with him. And I was like, okay, so then don't stop now. You know, we you can't you know, tear open a much larger wound and walk away from it, you know, you're, you're going to need to, to do the work of, you know, sort of evaluating how you got to where you are and what a path out of this looks like. And so, yeah, that can be to talk about, um, you know, everything from simply hearing things, you know, listening with a different ear. You know, we've, I've talked with people about, about that, you know, thinking, you know, what is, what is the underlying message that is trying to be conveyed here as opposed to putting all the weight on the particular application? But, you know, there certainly have been people that have reached out that they felt as though, you know what, I feel like I just need to leave this community of faith. And, you know, what does that look like when... Um, at least for me and my family, we are very involved in our in our local church. You know, we participate in music ministry. You know, we've you know attend and even taught for a time. You know, Sunday school classes, and this is where you know our friends are and our family attends and all of those sorts of things. And yet, uh, others with similar circumstances would say. Uh, and I'm not sp speaking specifically to my church. Please don't get me don't get me wrong. Not that there couldn't be people who have those experiences within the community of faith where I'm not experiencing that. Right? We've already talked about that. But you know, I, I can think of another person that I was talking to who said uh, was sort of very isolated, uh, attended a small church, and you know, felt as though there were some things that were happening that were almost constructed to specifically exclude them from being able to participate in the church. And, you know, my question was, help me understand what, what, what you're thinking, what are you thinking as far as the, it sounds as though this is leading up to you telling me you're prayerfully considering moving on to a church of a similar de denomination in your local community, but you didn't, the, the sentence never went there. And it was, well, I would be afraid that I would no longer be invited over for Christmas dinner, or I would no longer be permitted to have interaction with family members who are not yet adults. And I would no longer be permitted to, you know, I would no longer have this relationship with these sorts of people. And I said something, you know, like, well, oh, I can't imagine that would be the result of you doing that. You know, what, what's, what, what happened that gave you that idea? Oh, well, I've seen that happen. That's already happened in my church. You know, when this person left for this reason or attend, you know, began to attend somewhere else because they had a particular program that fit better the needs of their family at that time. Oh, we ostracize them. You know, we, 
you know, the, the church passed around gossip as to why we needed to make sure to disassociate with, uh, with, with these people. And so I feel like I have to stay where I am or I will lose these relationships. I'll lose the, the little support that I have. And I know that, you know, Ryan has done a great job in the past and others. You had another guest on as well that talked about uh, attachment theory and how important it is for us to feel safe and secure. You know, and God has hardwired us to function in such a way that we reach out to our primary caregivers. We reach out to our communities of faith for support and for accountability and for you know a sense of security and who we are and who God is making us to be. And so just as the child who grows up in a physically or sexually abusive home ends up being scared to run to the very people that God has wired them to run to, you know, there are people who their negative experiences within communities of faith have them positioned in such a way that the people that they're so, that God has wired them to seek out, you know, in order to, you know, in order to self-regulate, in order to again seek out support and accountability, that those very systems and structures are the very things that are negatively impacting them. Guys, I know this episode is resonating with many of you. Um, I hope you found it as interesting and intriguing as I have. Um, so much so, I, I found it so intriguing that uh, we ran too long. Uh, and this turned into a two-part episode with Dr. Graham talking about spiritual trauma after spiritual abuse. Um, so come back in two weeks. There will be that second episode part of this conversation. You're not going to want to miss it, but I do want to tell you while while this two weeks is happening, make sure to take care of yourself. Make sure to allow for time of self-reflection um, and talk to um, whether it's the your, your mental health professional, your your Christian counselor or, or your friend, um, decompress on some of this. Don't bottle it up. Um, don't, uh, overanalyze some things and, and maybe make something more than, than it is. Um, but also realize that some things are what they are. Um, view things for what they are. Don't diminish your experiences. Um, and if you need to talk with somebody a bit more about that, you can go to graystoryministries.com, cl- click on the counselor, uh, the counselor referral link, and we'll be able to hook you up with somebody that can help you work through some of these things as you're having questions pop into your head. But we'll be back in two weeks with the second part of that conversation with Dr. Graham. I hope you'll join us then. Uh, like I say, there is no us without you. So come back. We'll dig deeper on this topic. And until then, we'll be praying for you on your journey of restoration. Don't give up. We're all in this one together. And we'll see you then in two weeks.